0: Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by our friends at Y-Charts. Y-Charts has a special gift just in time for the holidays, their final research piece. Top 23 charts of 2023. I'm hopeful it'll include some of ours that we used last, year, last week on the webinar with them, right? Because I think we did a webinar, best charts of the year with Y-Charts. Got some good feedback from some people that liked it. Michael was mad at me because I was using up some good Animal Spirits takes and said save
1: them for the show, but I couldn't. I had to give them to the Y-Charts. Do you remember what the zing- You did have a few Zingers, I wish I wrote about it. Well, down. we
0: talked about the soft landing, and I said that we already landed the plane once, mm-hmm. and now we're getting ready to take the next flight. It's a connection,
1: right? Oh, it was a layover. It's a layover. That? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a I layover. Know. I got some other ones. 2023 was the great, the great layover. Ah, there we go.
0: So, yeah, the, the first landing already happened. So, check out the link in the show notes. Top 23 charts of 2023. Remember, 20% off. YCharts professional subscription, if you tell them animal spirits sent you. You ever see The Terminal? Yeah, not bad. I didn't care for Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is actually not very good at, at accents. That's one of the things he's not good at. That's a layover movie, right? Yeah, well, he's stuck in the air. That's actually not a bad movie. It's pretty good. Anyway, new customers only. Link in the show notes. Go see YCharts.
1: Today's show is also brought to you by the College for Financial Planning. Ben, do you know what the new... Contribution limits are for IRAs in 2024?
0: Seven grand, is it? 6,500? It went up, I know.
1: I don't know. You know why? I'm not a chartered retirement plan specialist. Okay.
0: You should know these things
1: if you were. Advisors with clients who are small business owners will likely have questions related to 401k plans, increased credits for startup costs. I don't even know what that is. Roth IRA treatment for employer contributions. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff.
0: There are a lot of different rules for this kind of thing.
1: It can be tricky. So the College of Financial Planning, which is a Kaplan company, offers a chartered retirement plan specialist professional designation that helps you gain expertise on all of these sort of issues. We always say the best way to stand out
0: in the advisory world, niche. which is more competitive, is have a niche. So they have a of different down. designations at the gotta College get the of niche. Financial Planning. We got the CFA. There's other, there's other routes to go as well if you want to focus on some other niche. Not niche, niche. You can do either,
1: niche niche or niche. I'm a niche guy.
0: It's kaplanfinancial.com. There's a link on the show notes for both of our websites. Check it out there. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join
1: Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. In the uh, intro, we were talking about the Chartered Retirement Plan Specialist designation from Kaplan. There There was a very brief moment in time where I thought about doing the CFP.
0: Is this post CFA or when you're, when you're debating between the two?
1: No, 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 This is post CFA. I think there was a good, I think I gave it a good five minutes and I just said, nah, not for me.
0: Every time I talk to a group of young people and they ask, MBA, CFA, CPA, I tell people if I was doing it today, I probably wouldn't have gotten the CFA, I would have done the CFP. Because I think there's, there's more demand in the years ahead for people who understand and know financial planning.
1: Then know how to invest a portfolio. That's indisputable. However. What was that word again? I uh, don't Indisputable. <laughs> All right. And that's that's true and it's good advice, but I'm, I'm not really interested in personal financial planning and personal finance stuff. That's fair.
0: I, I, I'm i thinking it through the young person lens of I'm trying to separate myself or.
1: Oh, what's a better, what's better for your career? For, well, it depends what sort of career. Anyway. So um, I remember
0: when I was, when I was coming out of school, my dad was trying to talk me into going to accounting. And getting my CPA because that it, it always meant there's jobs there. Right. But I, I hated that. I didn't want to, I had friends who were in that and they do the busy season and tax season and they, they hated themselves. So I didn't want to yeah. go that route either.
1: Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's Tuesday, December 12th. And we had a lot of economic data come out over the past week and a half. I'd say good data. Yeah. Good data. On Friday, we got the jobs number. I know certain people don't like good economic data anymore.
0: Call me crazy. Maybe I'm contrarian. I like good economic data.
1: You know what? You're, you're too focused on the negative. You're, you're stuck in the doomer dunking I'm being, I'm, being sarca- I'm being sarcastic. I can't tell. I can't even tell anymore. I'm losing the plot. I'm losing the Ben Carlson plot. Okay. All right. All right. You tweeted, the U.S. unemployment rate has been less than 4% for 22 straight months. This is a Ben Carlson special. That's the longest stretch below 4% since the late 1960s. The unemployment rate never got lower than four percent once in the 1970s, 80s, or 90s. And then you have this great. Did you make this meme or did you take this? I guess this is a well. This is a meme.
0: No, I pulled this. I pulled this meme myself. This is a Ben Carlson special. I didn't steal this from anyone. I just, I just typed in "little guy pushing big guy," and this is <laughs> really. <came in>. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I created this meme myself.
1: Wow! You don't. Not every day that you see the birth of a new meme. All right. Good for you. So there's a there's a picture of a little boy. Pushing uh, a sumo wrestler. A sumo wrestler. You know, I don't know if we discussed this on this podcast or ever, but my mind broke a little bit. Did you know Yokozuna was Hawaiian? The He's big, Samoan.
0: I, I never really got into sumo
1: wrestling. Sorry. <laughs> <What are you? laughs> no, the WWF.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. No, I remember that guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah he I was
1: Samoan, not Japanese.
0: Okay. I mean, they play anyway, char- They play characters. It's fake. Just that's so you know, true. I I I, I used this joke once before that I I was in wrestling in like the Hulk Hogan, Roddy Roddy Piper days. Yeah. Back then, Jake the Snake, my brother telling me that wrestling is fake. When this is back when it was WWE, not WWF or WWF. What's it now? WWE. Yeah. So back when it was WWF, I said like the Santa stuff. I never really, uh, never really got to me before. But like when I found out WWE. Or Wwf was fake. That was like, I couldn't believe it when well, my brother broke that news to me. I was shattered. I couldn't believe. I Was a little kid. I was like, you know, seven probably.
1: You know what? We're gonna put a pin in this because, uh, and then we're gonna take the pin out later in the conversation. Okay.
0: All right. So you know how we get the now. Speaking of Japan, we get the now show Japan. But, but all the wait, time. wait.
1: I didn't even finish. I didn't even finish explaining what the meme was. Oh, okay. So yeah. the the sumo wrestler is the labor market, and the little boy pushing him, obviously doing nothing, is the Fed raising interest rates. Good meme. Even the Fed said.
0: You know, we're going to try to slow the labor market and they, they haven't been able to. It's almost like they kind of brush that aside and just kind of like, hey, look, o- look over there. We didn't, we're not doing this anymore, but that was the whole idea that every economist was saying we have to slow the labor market because if we slow the labor market, then companies will pull back. And if companies pull back, demand will
1: slow and that'll slow inflation.
0: That's not what ha- what's happened, which is really
1: crazy when you think about it. Speaking Wait, of can I just say what the, but it's weird because you're right. The Fed's actions have not slowed the labor market as a whole. However, the rising cost of capital has destroyed money-losing companies, and they have laid off a lot of employees. Spotify, the most recent example, like there's been a lot of restructuring with companies that required access to cheap capital. True, and yeah, and it still hasn't mattered though
0: for the overall labor market, which is right. That, shows right. how dynamic exactly. the U.S. economy is. Now show Japan has always been a big joke of ours over the years because anytime we post a long term stock thing, when I put this, this tweet up about the labor force meme or, or the labor market, everyone's the net new one is okay, fine, show the labor force part- participation rate. That's the new Now show Japan. Then I have to come in with people saying, yes, the labor force participation rate is dropping because boom, baby boomers are retiring at a fast clip. But if you show prime age, as we've done here, 25 to 54, it's almost like It's all time highs, high. right? Yes. Yeah. You can it, it's hard to poke holes in labor market right now. Maybe you can in the future, but not now. We got to hustle, though. We got, we got to, I looked today. Guess how many pages our Google Doc is today?
1: We, we're bringing it today. 44, 44 pages. You I saw this. This might, this might be our longest episode ever. So strap in. Uh All right. Carla Cantania tweeted, lowest annual hourly earnings growth since June, 2021. And highest participation since February, 2020. So for those who who might have missed us in the opener, we were talking about the soft landing. Ben made some sort of a joke that, what's your joke? We had a layover.
0: I said we already had a soft landing and now we're on the layover and we'll see if the next flight has any turbulence or not. But so far, so good. We've we've, we've made it through the first leg of the trip.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I fly
0: from a regional airport, so I'm used to a lot of layovers. All right, so we don't really have a VIX for the economy, but I think if we did right now, it would be, it would, 2022 would have been, I don't know, a 30 VIX, high 20s. Right now it would be like at a 12 or 15. So this is the last six inflation readings. We had one this morning. Uh, 2.97 in June, 3.18, 3.67, 3.7, 3.24, and now 3.14 in November. The volatility is gone. like the, There wasn't any, you know, it's because the expectations are getting reset and getting more in line, but we've taken the volatility out of it. I think that's a good thing for... The economy right now.
1: Yes. The volatility of prices was definitely, I mean, it <laughs> was definitely weighing on consumer sentiment. That's for sure. Right.
0: Disinflation is potentially here. So Patrick Haran tweeted this. Shelter, again, was the largest factor in the monthly increase. So this is from October to November. If we exclude shelter, we had two months of mild deflation because remember the shelter one is is lagging. It's basically like the only thing keeping inflation up at all is, sounds like shelter and used cars. And those are two things that most people think are going to continue to fall, which is more good news ahead for inflation. You and I have talked about this before inflation versus the stock market. If you look at inflation higher or lower from one year to the next, a very crude measure to be fair, but just one year to the next. What did inflation start at last year, end last year? What did it end at this year? If inflation is higher from year to year, the average return for the S and P five hundred since the nineteen twenties is seven percent. If inflation is lower, the average return is closer to sixteen percent. In two thousand twenty three, with the markets followed this script again, inflation was lower, stock market did good.
1: I was looking at that this morning. I'm finally putting this, this post together. Um, if you look at a chart, like just like a simple line chart of the S and five hundred returns when inflation is higher or lower than it was a year later and you have them side by side, the charts look almost identical, even though there's a big gap in the average. And the reason why is because there's a lot more negative years when inflation is higher than it was a year ago. That makes sense. So when inflation is up year over year, the stock market is negative 33% of the time. Okay. And when it's lower than it was the previous year. And when I say lower, I mean, if inflation was 2.1% a year ago, and now it's 1.8%, that would be lower. Right. It's down only. It's it's only down seventeen percent of the time. Wow, cuts a lot in half. It's a big spread.
0: Yeah, that is. So so that it takes the downside away a little bit. That's interesting.
1: Car dealership guy tweeted, "It takes thirty nine weeks of income for the average person to purchase a new car." The good news is that that's down from forty three weeks earlier this year. The bad news, in two thousand nineteen, that number was only thirty two weeks. That's a twenty two percent increase in four years.
0: How many people actually need a new car? How many people are buying new cars that probably shouldn't be or can't afford them? Fair? <laughs> I, think many, I think too many people spend money on cars, and that is part of their financial problems. How's that? I've been, I've been beating this drum forever, and I think it's a problem, a huge problem for a lot of Americans.
1: I think that, yeah, yeah, people overspend on their car. There's no doubt about that. Um... The counterpoint used car prices were more than new cars. So yes. you can't you can't really blame all of this on, on poor choices. Somebody emailed us. Uh, by the way, since I put up my, my bat signal, uh, personal emails, personal responses, our inbox lit up like a Christmas tree.
0: It was very nice. We've been hearing from a lot of people.
1: Uh, a lot of, so a subject, lot of first time, long times. Let's keep them coming. Uh, subject line is my crazy inflation take actually plausible. Michael and Ben. Big fan since the beginning of the show. Here's my super hot take on inflation. Is Elon Musk more responsible for lower inflation than Jerome Powell? Yes, that seemed weird to even type. Inflation was still blazing above 6% earlier this year, and job openings plus wage pressures were a big contributor. When Musk came to Twitter, he cut 80% of staff. No matter your perspective on the guy, this decision seemed to unleash a torrent of other tech companies cutting staff. This has been a big driver in stock market gains this year, that in generative AI, and the fact that 2022 is a crappy year. But I think the bigger thing this did was it lowered some of the job market stresses in the entire economy, not just the tech sector. Um, I don't think this is a terrible take. I don't necessarily agree with this
0: because I think tech was going to see layoffs either way. Maybe he started the ball. I think, I think we can give Musk actually more credit for lowering prices on Teslas so much. I think that helped. It's going to help drive down inflation on new cars. Car and Driver has this list now that we're talking about cars of like the best selling twenty twenty three models. The top three models, of course, are Ford F-150, the Chevy Silverado, the Ram pickup. But number four is a Tesla Model Y. Fourth best-selling car this year in the U.S., which is pretty crazy. So maybe he has more of an impact on his huge price cuts and Teslas than anything. How's that? I think the tech stuff was going to happen anyway.
1: Don't you? Yes. But I do think that he, a lot of CEOs were looking at what he did and saying, now, Hilarious! It's like, well, sin- things seem fine with Twitter. <laughs> that was short-lived because <laughs> he got rid of everybody, and now the company is in shambles. Yes.
0: Although there, there were people who said like, there was like three times when people were like, okay, Twitter is actually falling apart at the seams, and like, like the software is going down, and obviously that that didn't happen. All right, you you've been saying I've been too doom and gloom, so I want to give a no, prediction.
1: No no, 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 no. What? I said that you're giving the doomers too much oxygen. Oh. You're focusing. You're focusing too much on dunking on idiots on the internet. I told you, the doomers are my sworn enemies. What am I supposed to do? All right, 2024
0: prediction. I think I actually gave this on white charts last week on our webinar. I'm bullish on consumer sentiment for the following reasons. We already talked about it. Stabilizing inflation rate. I think taking the volatility out of the economy is going to be huge for consumer sentiment. Falling gas prices, oil is below 70, I think. Falling mortgage rates, I think if we get a 60 or a 6% mortgage rate or so below that, I think consumers are going to love that if that happens. Real wage growth, wages are growing faster than inflation again, and the Fed is probably going to cut two or three times in 2024. I think comeback time for consumer sentiment, and I think we're going to stop having this why is everyone so miserable and the economy is doing well takes. So I think 2024 is going to reverse that.
1: I hope you're right. I think that these sentiment stuff and the surveys are messy. Like the people, it's possible that you see a rebound in consumer sentiment if if what you said just happens. But I think that we're a little bit broken, and I hate to say it, but...
0: A lot of it is political. Jim Bianco did another thread on that last night saying, listen, this is all politics, these sentiment indicators.
1: The 2024 election is not going to help the vibes. We got another email uh, from Anthony asking us, do you think the delta between those other countries... So last week we were talking about how come other countries, there's not the big gap between what's going on and how... Yeah, data and vibes. Yeah, data and vibes, and... And we were like, well, what's, what's unique to, United, to the United States? It's not like other countries don't have social media, right? So this person posits, like, do you think the delta between those other countries can be explained by income or wealth inequality? I don't have the data. You probably do. But my hypothesis is that in most European countries, there are more social programs and perhaps the disparity in wealth is more narrow than in the US.
0: A bunch of people did say that to me too, like healthcare and education is covered in a lot of the European countries, even though they have housing that's even more expensive than ours. But it's always been like that, though. That's not a new thing. So that doesn't really explain, like, why this happened all of a sudden in the last two or three
1: years. I I think, uh, I'm repeating ourselves, but social media is really, like, messing us up. I think that we are so, so addicted to our phones. And I would put myself in this category. Unfortunately, like, I don't spend, I don't really spend any time during the day on Twitter. Luckily, I'm too busy to pay attention to it. I'll log in here and, not to brag, I'll log in here and there. But when the day is over, I'm on my phone all the time and I'm on Twitter all the time and I f-ing hate it. And I don't, I don't know what to do about it. Like I'm stuck. I, I don't know what to do. And I was thinking about this because I was at a traffic light the other day and I looked over to my left and there's a couple. Literally, both of them are staring at their phone. He's driving. She's in the passenger seat and they're both on their phone. Now, I don't know that Americans are more addicted to social media. I'm assuming that's what they're doing, whatever, than other countries. But it seems like out of control bad. And like once every is, couple of months, I,
0: someone almost like veers into my lane. And I, oh, what are you doing? And I look over and they're looking at their phone texting or something.
1: Yeah, of course. So I deleted the Twitter app on my phone, but now I just go, I just find it out. Now I just go on the, the, the website. So it's just harder to get. So I don't know what to do. And again, it's it's not during the day. It's, it's when I'm on my couch. Yeah, to be fair,
0: we use it a lot though. Like for me, it's a news source. We get so many of the, so many of the things that we read and talk about here. So, but there's also the addictive element as well.
1: So, so Dan Carlin tweeted from Hardcore History, I can't be the only one following the many upsetting global events via social media, concluding that this is the most poisonous and least productive way to conduct important conversations that humans have ever been a part of. I used to think the TV of the 1980s and the 1990s was bad, but it apparently was Demosthenes, Demosthenes. How do you pronounce this? Yeah, Demosthenes? Sure. Demosthenes versus Cicero, compared to this, in my humble opinion, this is making things worse. There's no doubt about it. Social media as wonderful as it has been for, you know, our careers and all that stuff, like it is just it is so toxic. Yes. And that is, struct- that is structural. That's, that's never going away. I think the bad always the good at this point, for sure. Oh, my God. So Robert Kiyosaki, and I, I know, Ben, I was poking you make making fun of the doomers. but while we're on the subject, this f***ing asshole, FYI, <laughs> bank credit just sold off like 2008. Bob, uh, Robert Kiyosaki is rich, poor dad. Now, listen, I don't want to give these people attention. However, a lot of our audience – Cease no, this stuff. I saw and, this
0: tweet, and I think we're making progress because literally everyone on Twitter dunked on this guy. Okay, good. This is what I, this is what I liked about it. This is why we're making progress because people don't listen to the doom. I mean, some people are, but most people are dunking on them and proving why they're idiots like this So this, this guy.
1: butthole said, bank credit just sold off like 2008. Get some cash out of banks as you need cash. This may be the start of the biggest question in history. Hope I am wrong, yet no time to play Russian roulette with your life. Russian roulette with your life. First of all, hope I am wrong? you, dude. This is the worst Grand Rapids hedge I've ever seen in my life.
0: That's the biggest charlatan calling card in history. Hope I'm wrong that the world doesn't, cl- that the world
1: collapses, but I warned you if it does. Market Watch said, is the U.S. in a silent depression? TikTok creators say yes. Um, we are in the worst economic time in American history, says one TikTok user in a video with millions of views. What do we do about this?
0: There's nothing. I don't think there's anything we can do, unfortunately.
1: And I don't want to keep talking about this every week, like just highlighting like the idiots, but it's, uh, it's unfortunate. This is like, my, my hope
0: was that young people would be immune to this stuff because they grew up in it. It's the opposite, it seems. When the AI stuff takes off, we're going to have to get really good at just assuming everything is fake because there's going to be so many deep fakes coming at us. Hopefully that will, maybe it'll take that to live through and people realize like you can't trust anything on the internet. Which is sad because we live in a society that's literally built on trust. The financial system is built on trust. So if if we just have to say you can't trust anything, that's going to be a tough way to live. And hopefully there's software or something that'll be able to say like, there'll be like a watermark being like, this is fake. But I think that's what's going to have to happen is i I would have assumed young people are would be better at this than they are, like gen Z was l- like beating their chest like listen, we grew up in the internet you you know you 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 didn't and they seem worse than anyone at this which which if to be fair, I didn't grow up in the social media age if I did, I'm sure I would leave a really bunch of dumb stuff back then,
1: our colleague Nick majue uh made a chart of all of these Robert Kiyosaki. This is not his first rodeo. He's been doing this shit for the last decade. Did you, I know we're going to talk about this later Rich author, in sh- poor
0: readers. That's my take on him.
1: I know we're going to talk about this later in the show, um, but the movie, uh, the end of the world movie, what, uh, this is where we leave you. What was the name of it? Leave the world behind. I, I oh my God. I'm just making up titles now. Like I'm, I'm turning into my dad. Uh, leave the world behind. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the show, but like, it's hard. To, it's hard to watch stuff like that, and and that was basically like. Um, There's a lot of, of a, good
0: societal en- stuff in that movie. That really. Yeah, it's
1: hard. It's hard to watch that and not be like petrified. You know. Yes.
0: Like what if if we turned off all the internet and all the electricity or whatever, and you didn't have access to information, how quickly would people freak out? And I think they kind of nailed that part of it. I really like totally. that movie.
1: Yeah. So did I. Um. All right. Another Carl continued tweet. Um, Larry Fink said, BlackRock was mentioned by some candidates in last night's debate more than inflation or the national debt. That's a sad commentary of the state of American politics. Now I call this, now I know why they call this this the political silly season. You saw, um, I know this is later on the doc, I just want to, while we're on this topic, you saw the, um, there's like a, a fight, an MMA fighter who has Uh, Over 500,000 followers on Twitter. He tweeted uh, a report that's obviously bullshit. 44% of all single-family home purchases were private equity firms in 2023. Are you saying
0: I shouldn't be getting my financial advice from an MMA fighter? All right. This is the Howard Lindzen thing has always said, there's no such thing as information overload. It's filter failure. If you're getting your information from people who are obviously sharing information Faulty stuff, or they don't know they are, or they're just trying to stoke the fires, and that that's on you at this point. But that's
1: but, but is it though? The problem is like most people, a lot of people just don't know. And you see this person, and it's going viral. And this guy, you know, he's I don't know, he seems credible. He's five hundred thousand followers. So he tweeted like, "This is extremely concerning, and explains why the housing market didn't drop as interest rates doubled. It's becoming nearly impossible for middle class family to buy a home, and this will make the issue much worse." Like these are these are. Structural uh, headwinds for the vibes, and it just it just stinks. It like breaks my heart a little bit that this is not a little bit, a lot that this is this is our reality. This is it. There's no, there is no going back. This is the world. Up. Wow. F- there, there's going
0: to be a line of demarcation. No, before there's not. Social media after social media. I'm saying after social media came, there's going to be this like, like oh. humanity's thoughts about the world or whatever happiness. Sentiment is going to be completely changed after social media.
1: Do we like? Is there a post-social media world? I'm just hoping something
0: better comes along to take our attention. That's that's the only thing we can hope for. All right, we need to be. I
1: need to be addicted to something more. (laughs) Uh.
0: Take up smoking. All right, uh, a bunch of people sent us a story from Bloomberg. You're better off going all in on stocks than bonds. New research finds. Researchers find all all in stock investing provides better value. And I actually looked at this piece, too. I, re- I read the actual paper. We challenge two central tenets of Lakes cycle investing. Investors should diversify across stocks and bonds, and the young should hold more stocks than the old. An even mix of 50% domestic stocks and 50% international stocks held throughout one's lifetime vastly outperformed age-based stock bond strategies in building wealth. I mean, a lot of people ask for our thoughts on this, and this is like the idea of academic versus real world. Of course, a 100% stock portfolio is going to outperform a stock versus bond portfolio.
1: This, yeah. This didn't say, need to be go on. this
0: didn't need to be said. Of yeah. course, like I've seen in the past people say, like, if you do a 60-40 portfolio and you never rebalance, that will outperform a 60-40 portfolio that does rebalance. Of course. Holy
1: shit, mind blown. Wow. Stocks outperform bonds. Yeah, stocks outperform what, bonds. What, what is this?
0: People own bonds as an emotional hedge or a volatility hedge, or because sometimes stocks crash and they don't want to sell them when they're down. That's the whole Of course, if everyone was rational. You could have a hundred percent all stock portfolio, but everyone is not rational. People are emotional, and my my nine year old the other day, she she's like mature beyond her years. She's more mature at nine than I probably was at eighteen. But she like voices her opinions, and she she had a little mini tantrum, and we asked like, why did you do that, and she said, "Sometimes I just can't handle my emotions, okay," which was wow. like a a total human response, and I was like, "Ah, oh, you kind of got me there," but. That's the idea here with any type of hedge is because people can't handle their emotions or their responses
1: at times. So, yeah, this is a research report that really didn't need to be stated. Didn't didn't need to be said. You know, but it's funny you mentioned the hedge. In watching that movie, um, Leave the World Behind, I was thinking about different types of hedges, like TELRA strategies. Oh, how how would you hedge that situation of (laughs) the internet going down? Financial assets don't hedge you in that sort of scenario. So like there's like a spectrum of hedges, right? Yes.
0: I feel like the doomsday preppers on a lot of these shows and movies have been uh, shown to be the best volatility hedgers, though, like being prepared for the end of the world. Kevin Bacon.
1: Haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, that was pretty good. All right. Nate Garassi tweeted $850 billion swing from bond mutual funds to ETFs since the Fed began raising rates in March 2022. Mutual funds lost 500 billion. ETFs gained 348 billion dollars. On this topic, uh, I saw Citywire report on a Morningstar report that mutual fund outflows um, in November bled 64 billion dollars, which was their 24th consecutive month of outflows.
0: And then every unbelievable every bear market, when there's you have an excuse to sell, there's going to be even bigger. And the same thing from active funds to index funds. Every bear market is going to get worse. More ETF money and more index money.
1: This is a melting ice cube,
0: right? 401k, if, if, the, if you could do ETFs and 401ks, if they just snapped their fingers and made it easy to do ETFs and 401ks, mutual funds would be in huge trouble. That's, I think that's the only thing holding them together is huge gains that baby boomers are sitting on and then 401k plans.
1: Totally. Judas tweeted. This is wonderful. Someone is launching a 4X S&P 500 ETM with a ticker XXXX, Good ticker. which would be a, le- a leveraged amount record of the US. We are so back. Maybe two back. And then he also tweeted uh, a picture.
0: It's a classic with onion. A- <laughs>
1: oh, Jake. this would be the onion? It's funny. Yeah. Everything. We're doing five blades. Which uh, came so This is what? This is a, a razor, a shaver. Duncan, a, a razor blade. Is,
0: Duncan is looking at his brokerage account to see when he can buy this thing already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bounce Shoot has tweeted that it's that same energy. I love it.
0: All right. Uh, economic stuff. You want some more good news?
1: Yes. Justin good Wolfers. News, please.
0: So, this is the, the indicators that the National Bureau of Economic Research looks at to see if we're in a recession non farm payrolls, real consumption, household employment, real GDP. Personal income transfers, industrial production, and real manufacturing, trade and sales. They're all going in the right direction for the most part, right? Most of these things are going up. That looks like a pretty yeah. good chart to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You asked me three months ago, and I would have said, ah, 2024, there, ha- there has to be a recession, right? I think I'm leaning towards planting my flag on there's no recession again this year. I think it's not going to happen. You mean next year? Yeah, it's in 2024. I'm thinking. It, the crazy thing, we went on a limb in January of 2023 that there's no recession, and that felt weird. I think 2024, I don't think there's going to be a recession.
1: I don't think that a recession is going to come in 2024 as a result of all the interest rate hikes. I think, to, to your point, the plan landed. We had a soft landing. It would have to be some other external shock to make it happen. Well, I wouldn't say it would have to be, but that's that's where I would lean. I would be not surprised, but I would... If I had to bet, I would say that if there was a recession, it would be more likely to be from something that we're not thinking about than just, well, interest rates finally, they filter their way through the economy. Right.
0: Oh, it's been 19 months. I guess it matters now, yeah. <laughs> right? I think yeah. that's what some people are waiting for, the, like the lag thing. All right, it's 18 months and they don't matter. But at 19 months, then they're going to matter.
1: I don't like that I got too, too gloomy back there. I want to bring myself back to the center because as we're looking at, like all these indicators are going in the right direction. Do you think that people who are not online are experiencing the same sort of gap in sentiment. When you say not online, you mean
0: like not on Twitter? Or not on Facebook? Well, how, many people I, I do you, that, how many people do you know that every once in a while, I'll hear like a dad at one of the basketball or soccer games for my kids brag about how like, I, I'm not on social media at all. But that is the minority these days. There, yeah. are, there are very few people that are like that.
1: I think a lot of the bullshit exists on Facebook too. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't even know what the Facebook feed is. I haven't been on it in years. But I imagine that the same stuff bubbles up on Facebook. Same articles, same sharing, same idiots. Probably. I mean the the hope is though, the more but at least the economy at least the economy is legitimately good. Not for everyone. Don't get mad at me if you're listening, you're not in a good position. That's that's I'm you know, obviously I'm sorry for those people. That's always the case. The economy is pretty good. Two
0: good takes on this. Connor Sen, maybe some piece of this will break in twenty twenty-four, but the fact that the unemployment rate may have stabilized in the high threes, worker income growth around five percent and core PC trending around two to two and a half, with the Fed in position to cut is so perfect nobody would have believed it. Here's another yeah. one from this other guy, Matt, who I don't know, but good take. The COVID economy could have never recovered. Inflation could have spiraled. The Fed could have responded to inflation too harshly and sent the country into recession. None of this happened. It's incredible. This is my take as well. I, can't, it, I almost can't believe how well things have
1: worked out. The Fed said they wanted to crash the economy and they did it or they couldn't. When we were on with, with Derek Thompson saying that there would be no recession in 2024, I, in 2023, it felt, like, it felt like we were almost being contrarian for contrarian sake. Right, it felt like it took a little bit of courage. I'm using that word very loosely to say that there would be no recession in 2023. Thank you for your service. Yeah, no, it's a joke, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was such, it was really consensus. It really yeah. was like the overwhelming consensus. Of course, we're going to have a recession. Yeah, you idiot. There was no other. There was no other path to get there. I, yeah.
0: It. So the fact that we're where we are, I'm sure, if you ask Powell, after six whiskeys, he would say.
1: No way in hell that I think we'd get to like this. There's no way. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh here's another email. Guys, you mentioned a Washington Journal article how workers are so unhappy with their jobs. Wanted to read it, but note, we were happy in May, but not now. So <laughs> uh there's a he took a screenshot of an article from May of 2023. Workers are happier than they've been in decades.
0: Well, this is why Amazing. the sentiment stuff is just broke. This is from Axios yesterday. <laughs> Americans haven't been this happy at work since the 1980s. Oh, that this is I give up. It. Oh
1: <laughs> I no, give this up. is it.
0: That's this is from A. So this is the one. Okay. Uh, yeah, job satisfaction at a 35-year high. Yeah, it's who knows. <laughs> I know. I, I I think we do just have to the sentiment stuff, unless it's at the like the bubbling extremes of a, a massive bubble or a huge crash. I don't think the sentiment stuff is useful in any way because there's so many sentiment indicators now too. You can't, they all offset each other.
1: Yeah, we're talking about how the vibes are in the toilet. I don't know what, because it was some dumb survey that we or a yes. few lines on a chart that we saw. But that can be refuted by another dumb survey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you tweeted, uh, Top Economist is uh, an article from CNBC. In October, October 27, October 17th, excuse me, 2023. Top economists unanimous on higher for longer rates as inflation threats linger. Uh, and you tweeted, this is basically the top in rates, unanimous economists lose again. And then you also tweet, one year to, to the day from this gem, October 17th, 2022. Forecast for US recession within year hits 100% in blow to Biden. I mean, 100%. This is why economists nobody, should stick with a 40% Nobody lane. has any idea... What's going on? Right. And rates hit 5%. We're all, broads- just, we're,
0: yeah.
1: we're all just pretending. Charlie Munger in the interview with John Collison was talking about, I can't remember the exact quotes, but about like experts on TV or something. And did I write this down? Uh, Charlie said like, oh, here it is. I did write it down. Uh, he said they're experts in saying something that's mildly plausible. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is like such a great way to put yeah. Everything that, we, that we're that we talking about.
0: Could happen, yeah. All right, how about this? So the higher for longer people, they're probably going to take a, a victory regardless if the Fed keeps it above 4%. They're going, to see, I told you. But look at this. This is the average effective Fed funds rate going back to like the 1950s. The average is 4.6% over the past 70 years. So is it really higher for longer if they keep it at 4 or 5% or 4% or is it just average for longer?
1: I eh, think yeah, you're being too cute.
0: Well, I mean, we're saying higher compared to the 0%, I guess. But this literally is, we're we're a little bit more than average right now. Do
1: do interest rates rates in the 1960s have any bearing on today? What if you did the average interest rate for the last 30 years?
0: That's lower. So I looked at this for mortgage rates the other day. So, so, Because some people are saying, if you go back to the 70s, mortgage rates average 7.5%. So we're right at average which is ridiculous because it got to 18% in the 80s. But if you look at just this century alone, average mortgage rates are 5%. That's another thing for sentiment. I think the spreads on mortgage rates, bonds, I think that's what's going to help mortgage rates in 2024. I want to see that spread
1: go down. Uh, All right, let's talk about crypto for a second. Who tweeted this? Uh, uh, Ryan Rasmussen. He's, uh, He's from Bitwise. This was, I think on Sunday night, $71 million of Bitcoin longs were liquidated in the past hour. This is the best part about crypto to me, is that- How is this still a thing? Like, how are people still going full tilt in crypto? I think it's just never going to change. Where you
0: have these nights where crypto will jump 10% or all of a sudden, in three minutes, you'll have a huge sale and it'll drop 10%. Maybe that's just never going to change in something like Bitcoin. I don't know.
1: Last week, we were talk- when we were talking, Talking about Bitcoin, we were saying how, uh, at least I was saying how, eh, both of us were. We bought it as an emotional hedge. Like, maybe this sounds irrational and petty to you, but sorry, this is—I'm just being honest. If Bitcoin went to one hundred thousand dollars and I didn't own it, I—I I would explode. Yes. Like my, my brain would just melt into my body because it's an I don't, asset
0: that that stokes the emotions unlike any other one. I
1: think. Yeah, yeah, um, and I certainly did not. <laughs> Would not want to be somebody whose identity was was tied, even into my internal identity was tied to watch to to hoping something. Fails. Either way, though, you wouldn't want your identity tied completely into it or completely out of it. Well, of course, of course. Yeah, we're we're, we're not big fans of some of the crypto thinking, uh, and this is a great example of it. So, Buco Capital retweeted a commercial that Coinbase did, um, and Coinbase tweeted single family home up. Single family homes didn't always require four roommates. It's time to break the cycle. It's a it's a commercial that I'm guessing airs on TV. So Buko Capital tweeted.
0: Wait. So the idea is, you can only afford a house if you buy crypto.
1: Well, so Buco Capital retweeted and said these ads are deeply malicious. They attempt to establish a sense of insurmountable hopelessness to trigger people into yoloing lottery ticket shitcoins and cum tokens, and. Perfectly said. This shit is gross. I, I, I'm i cooling it with the F-bombs. Excuse me. I hate this. I really, really, really hate this. I hate everything about it.
0: Yes. It's There's other ways to push your line of thinking than playing on people's fears. All right. So I've got an AI take here. Josh on his website. So Josh changed his website from Reform Broker to, what is it now? Downtownjoshbrown.com. And he posted this thing from Google Gemini that shows how the AI works and Josh has been all over this AI thing way more than than I have or you have I think and he's he's saying watch this video it's mind blowing and i think movies have ruined ai for me because my mind was not blown at all i was kind of like <laughs> i've been i feel like i've been watching ai on movies and sci-fi for so long that it, it doesn't do anything
1: for me. I feel like I should uh, be. iRobot ro- uh, is your high watermark. Until you see something like that, you're not impressed. <laughs>
0: but is it weird? AI doesn't impress me because I've seen. So we started this show last night called the A Murder at the End of the World or something. It's actually pretty good. Clive Owen's in it. It's on Hulu, FX1.
1: First episode. I, totally, yeah, I saw the first episode. I liked it, but they had the AI. I miss, like, Cl- I miss, I miss Clive Owen.
0: I That's what I said. I, I thought he should have been bigger always. I liked him. You know, I feel like we, we did this
1: bit on Clive Owen like a couple of years that's, ago. That's possible. I,
0: but, so you watched the first episode. So they have the hologram AI guy to help you as your assistant. And I watched that and I go, I'm not going to be impressed till I get that. Or the Sark, Johansson on my ear that I talk <laughs> about. So that's why like any of the new AI stuff that comes on, it's, it's, it's fascinating. In a year, we've had such great breakthroughs, but it doesn't impress me at all because I've seen it in movies. I feel like that's way better. I don't know. That's I, mo- fair take. Movie industry. All right. I gotta take on real estate here. So the house I told you, I haven't been able to run outside much lately because if it's below 42 degrees, I'm not running outside, okay? It's too cold, but it, it got up to like 45 this week, so I ran outside and I saw sale pending for the house that I mentioned three weeks ago. Remember, it was it sold for 575 brand new in 2021, listed for 699, okay? Sale pending three weeks later, sold for 699. So pretty good jump in two years, basically. I think, so you're still getting that kind of activity. I think if you're in the house, we always say never time the housing market. Like if you want to buy a house, you can afford it, you buy it. Remember how many people in 2020 and 2021 wrote into us saying, housing prices are crazy. The demand is surging. I can't pull my, you know, I can't do it. And we'd say, no, if you want to buy a house, buy a house. Because then you, if you you, you didn't, you missed out on 3% mortgage rates and you're kicking yourself so much harder now. Remember all those people in 2020 and 2021 asking us? Oh, that? I forgot about that. So Ooh. many people were asking us about time, and we always said, "Do not try to time the housing market. If you can
1: afford it, you do it." So I think, right? No, that's such that's such a good point because prices were up, whatever, twenty percent in a year in, in a year and a half, and people were saying, "I'm just going to wait until prices drop ten percent," and that was a way better time to buy. In hindsight, at least you had three percent interest rates. Now you have the same prices and seven percent interest rates. Yeah, it's yeah, a good or higher price. So I think again,
0: not trying to time it. But if you're in the market and you can afford a house buying now with rates at seven and then hoping to refinance and there's not as much activity, I think you're better off doing that now than buying when rates get to six and things are more affordable because then you're going to have lines out the door again, I think. Oh yeah. So if you don't, if you want to have more negotiating power, I
1: think you buy now and refinance. Just a thought. I was talking about this last night with friends, like I don't really have a strong feeling on this. I think I said, I think at one point I said that housing prices are going to explode higher if rates come down and maybe they do, maybe they don't. I think what's, what will definitely happen is activity will skyrocket. What that does to prices. We'll see.
0: Yes. I, I, that's, that's where I fall. I have a thought exercise for you. What percentage of current homeowners, if they were forced to buy their house right now at current rates and current prices could afford it. So, Let's say you can afford a 20% down payment on your current house and at the current level and the current mortgage rate, because I looked at mine now, to be fair, my payment is lower now because I had equity from 10 years of owning a home before and rolled that into this house. But I looked, my payment would be almost three times higher if I were to buy my house right now at current, at 7% mortgage with 20% down at the current price, three times higher than I'm currently paying.
1: I pay $3,500 a month for my mortgage, give or take. I think my mortgage would be like, what is 10 grand?
0: Probably eight, eight, eight to 10, probably. So, so what percentage h- h- of people h- h- could actually afford their own house right
1: now is what I'm asking. How does the math, how does the math work on that? Like, and I'm, when I say the math, I mean like the personal finance myth, how do people make that work?
0: You stretch and you stretch and you stretch and you, ho- you put a little down payment down and you hope to refinance or you put a big down payment down to, I don't
1: know. Well, the re- hold, hang on, hang on. There's two realities. One is that you can do an adjustable rate mortgage, which I'm surprised that's still a relatively small percentage of overall. Is it, is it even 15%? What do you mean? Like oh, the no, percentage it's, it's of- It's
0: like 5 it's like to 7%. It's really okay. small. Yeah. All
1: right. But don't you, don't you also think that people are putting, maybe putting down not 20%, they're putting down less, but that makes your mortgage even more expensive.
0: And again, this is first-time homebuyers. If you're someone who owns a house, it it stinks to have to buy a new house at a higher price and higher rates, but you've got a lot of equity that you can use to lower that new price. So this is really a first-time home buyer thing, which again they they got totally screwed. All right, remember in the 2010s in the big short, people were worried about like all these ninja loans with people having low income, how bad that was because they took out subprime loans and it, it destroyed the housing market, all that thing. So look at this. New home buyers have higher household income than first-time home buyers. So look at the look at the income of new home buyers and first-time home buyers from the NAR, it's been going up a lot. Now, some people would look at this and go, a lot of people look at this and go, this is unfair because it's only people who make a lot more money that can buy houses. And that's true. But isn't this a better situation than people with no income on their loan applications buying a house that they can't afford? I think this is actually a better situation, even if it seems like it's not fair.
1: What happened between 2013 and 2015 for that big jump to occur? It seems weird, no?
0: Well, I think part of it is... They got more stringent on the requirements for a loan. You had to make more money to get a loan. It's
1: regulations, right? I don't know. I don't know. Um, So Logan Motoshami uh, debunked the nonsense. No, Wall Street investors haven't bought 44% of homes this year, as we were saying in that stupid report earlier. So not that data changes people's minds, but these are the facts, Jack. We do
0: get asked about this a lot, and it's not always like Doomer's asking. It's people like, I'm legitimately asking, what, what is the actual number?
1: Yeah. No, that's that's fair. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, institutional buyers make up 2.5% of all purchases. It's a small number. The overall, there's a great chart. There's The overall market share of investors uh, is currently around 30%. And that's sort of... It's, it's up a little bit from early 2000, but it's gone sideways for the last 20 years. It's around, it hovers between 25 and 30% call it. And the majority of those what?
0: investors are mom and pop people. It's not.
1: It's mom. It's yeah, it's, when we say investors, it's mom and pop. It's regular people. It's not Vanguard and BlackRock. The thousand plus block buyer. So like the, the bad guys that are just hoovering up all of the houses, that's, that was 0.4%. Of market share in Q2. Now, I will say, oh, that's a good chart. It's zero point four percent. This is—it's uh, not the same everywhere, right? Like there are some geographies where there are way more institutional buyers, and it's a fact that in certain markets, institutional buyers are driving up prices and making homes right. more affordable. Charlotte and Phoenix and some some areas,
0: but it's—it's it's, that's a minority. But it's,
1: yeah. So if you're li- if you've lived that existence, then it's your reality. But again. Yeah. So thank you, Logan, for for doing that. All right. What's this thing on divorce and housing?
0: Okay. I just, I saw this. I found MarketWatch on Twitter, and I just saw like three tweets in a row. It's interesting the housing. So it's like, my wife and I are separating. I provided the down payment and paid the mortgage on our home. Will I be allowed to keep it if we divorce? Next one. My husband wants me to sign over 20% of my home. If not, he threatens to take half of the divorce. What should I do? I would divorce him. I inherited $246,000 from my late mother and used $142,000 to pay off our mortgage. If we divorce, can I claim this money back for my husband? If you're like a real estate attorney, you've gotta be rolling in it right now because these questions have to be coming up. Housing is such an important vehicle right now in figuring out the, the mechanics of it. Is the housing market going to keep people married longer? Will the divorce rate fall? <laughs> you know, it actually, it, it actually fell during the Great Depression. The divorce rate fell because people couldn't afford to get
1: divorced. Yeah. Just a thought uh fellas Stay great together for this the week house all... not the kids <laughs> uh i haven't written in a while but with the news of mint going the way the dinosaur i thought it might be nice if you'll discuss different alternatives during an upcoming personal finance segment on the pod you've come to the right place i know ben still tracks all of his expenses in excel but i'm sure many listeners would appreciate your insight on other available options um they've been a sponsor of the show but i use rocket money i love it it's a great service matter of fact um, I get one of the things that I like about it so much is that I get uh, email alerts when there's like an uh, a large purchase.
0: That's the part I like about it too. I started using it, so I I still have my Excel spreadsheet, but I use racket Money as like a supplement to it, and it tells me, you know, unusual activity. Did you make this purchase? And that that stuff is happening. And it
1: breaks down your, sp- your it breaks down your spending by category. So I'm I'm a big fan. I walked into the the I don't know what room in the house I was in, bedroom maybe. And I said to my wife, I "Was like, what the hell is?" blah, blah, blah. And she's like, and uh, she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, rocket money. I, I I found the, I found the purchase. And she's like, oh, that, okay. Uh, So anyway, that's, that's what I I found. A lot
0: of those purchases are usually like makeup. Way more expensive than you'd assume.
1: I'm pretty sure it was clothes. I can't remember the name of the brand, but she was surprised I never heard of the brand.
0: Considering 70% of your wardrobe is Instagram t-shirts and giants gear. I'm not surprised you didn't know the brand.
1: So this, this new giant city that I got now, I just, everything I get is from fanatics. I guess like that's, that's the, the brand that found me and they're doing quite well. I think they're valued like $4 billion. I mean, we've got a
0: bunch of jerseys and t-shirts on
1: for my kids. For Wait a Christmas. minute. I think, it's, oh, that. I think it's 30 billion. It's like a huge number. Anywho, they do something that I really don't like. It's really shitty. They, they, uh, there's like coupons for every purchase. But if you don't click the apply button to the coupon, oh, then yes. you pay full freight. It's really kind of, it's not, it's, not, it's not right.
0: Do you use like the Honey extension? It looks for, no, coo- it looks for coupons for everything you buy on the
1: internet and it right. applies them. That's, my point is with, with Fanatics specifically. So if you want to buy a hoodie that's $60 and there's a, there's a sale that gets it down to $45, if you forget to click the apply coupon button, which I guess should be on you, but it's not intuitive until you don't click on it. They know most people won't do it. They know a lot of people won't click yeah. on it, so it's kind of kind of shitty. Anywho, this hoodie—it's—it's it's, the sticker was like Darius Rucker. It's a Darius Rucker collection. <laughs> hoodie and the Blowfish, okay. like <laughs> literally. Right. He's he designs uh, sports gear now. Okay, looks nice. All right, interesting article in Business Insider. Boomers seem to have traded in the child-raising village for traveling. Now, millennial parents said they have no one to support them.
0: Oh, they want grandma and grandpa as the babysitter, and the grandma and grandpa aren't there.
1: Yeah, so I pulled a few quotes. Looking back on her childhood, Christiana Hilberg said that it was never a question whether her grandmother would watch her and her brother when their parents went on a trip. If mom and dad ran out of town, we were at grandma's. The 33-year-old told Business Insider. Grandma wasn't going anywhere, and we always knew that. But Hilberg, a mom of three, said there's no guarantee that her parents or in-laws will do the same for their grandkids, certainly not at the snap of a finger. Quote, we have to make sure that we are asking months in advance, she said, and that, quote, their own travel plans often have to be factored in.
0: Okay, I'm going to take the boomer side of this. It's not that big of a deal to ask someone in advance, <laughs> right?
1: I think so, too. Uh, so here's, here's from the Boomer's point of view, uh, somebody named Dobson. So the elder Dobson said that even if he's off boating and playing pickleball in Mexico, he's still done plenty to help his children out, including supporting them financially through much of their lives. At this point, he said he deserves to spend some of his money on himself. Quote, they've all got nannies. He said, (laughs) we didn't have a nanny. They drive expensive SUVs. I drove a fricking minivan. (laughs) I'm team Boomer on Uh, this. Yeah, score one for the Boomers here. I'm team Boomer on this. Listen, I just like, yeah, you want your parents around, but what?
0: They have their old life to live. Yeah, I. if we do something like that, we check with my parents in advance. Yeah, hey, we're going yeah. away for this weekend. Can you watch the kids? But we give it them- should It
1: shouldn't be a foregone conclusion that you could foist your kids on your in-laws or your parents every single time you want to go out to dinner. Come no. on. Yeah, you have to ask. All right, streaming cancellations at a new high. This is from Bloomberg. Uh, U.S. customers are canceling their streaming services in record numbers according to Antenna. Cancellations at 5.7% in October. Uh, up more than a full point from April, and the highest on record. And the biggest jumps occurred in Ooh, stars. Was the stars, Paramount Plus, and Discovery? They need Plus. to start
0: offering rewards for people who stick around long enough.
1: Yes, right. Hey, if you customer loyal, you've paid your loyalty. bill for twenty
0: four straight months, we're going to decrease it by ten percent. They need to do something to get people to stay longer.
1: So look at look at this next chart. This is from uh, Lucas Shaw Bloomberg. There's Netflix and everyone else. I mean, nobody cancels Netflix. So I think that this is less a, less a commentary on like the state of the economy. Like, uh-oh, people are starting to... Then like, it's, it's too much.
0: Well, it's also uh, talking about the quality of the shows and movies. There's nothing coming out right now because of the strike. So There's it makes nothing. sense people are canceling.
1: There's nothing. So uh, streaming services have argued that the strike didn't impact their output of new shows in a big way. The data suggests otherwise. Take a look at the top 10 streaming titles in the U.S., uh, the week of October thirtieth, per Nielsen, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. So that's a new one, obviously. Um, Grey's Anatomy, Suits, Friends, Bluey, All the Light We Cannot See. That's a new one. Gilmore Girls, NCIS, Coco Melon, and Family Business. There's only one original series in the top ten. Otherwise, it's all reruns and, and watch, know, some again, kid I see shows. Okay,
0: I am so glad Coco Melon is out of my life for good.
1: What do you mean? Like your your kids have moved on? Oh yeah, I mean a few years ago, but that even Coco Melon, <sighs> even Coco Melon, which is one of the most successful media businesses, even their cutting employees.
0: Just constant stream of loop of those songs in my head over and over from when my kids were little.
1: So uh, sticking with this, New York Times had an article, Zombie TV has come for cable. In 2015, the USA cable network was a force in original programming. Dramas like Suits, Mr. Robot and Royal Pains either won awards or attracted big audiences. What a difference does a few years make. Viewership is way down and USA standalone original programming. When's the discount. last time you
0: went to USA? People don't click. It used to be you were clicking through channels and you'd, you'd stop on USA, right? Or TBS. But you don't click channels anymore like that. Because you have str- USA was, pre- was streaming before streaming existed. You'd go to USA, TNT, or TBS to find an old movie playing. Now you can do it on streaming. So what's the point of USA?
1: Well, there is none. So to that point, viewership is way down. During one 46-hour stretch last week, USA showed repeats of NBC's Law & Order Special Victims Unit for all but two hours, when it showed reruns of CBS's NCIS and NCIS Los Angeles, why does USA need to exist? Why does why do any of these channels need to exist? In 2015, there was at least 214 original scripted programs on premium and basic cable channel that fell forty that fell 39 percent. In 2015, TBS and TNT aired 17 scripted shows. This year has a total of three series. It's crazy. I mean, all this is you don't. To watch CSI or whatever, you don't need. You go on Peacock or whatever, whatever has it. Yeah, streaming killed a lot of these channels. Ben, do you remember back in the day um, when Dish Network and Directv came out? And uh, Directv
0: coming out was a big deal. I remember.
1: What the, was like what the was 90s. the service? What was the service that used to be able to record things TiVo. before DVR? TiVo. TiVo. TiVo was DVR? That's all it was. But it was a brand, and it was like a a box. And do you remember back in the day when this when this? I don't know what year it was two thousand three four. I don't remember when you had seven thousand channels, and it was almost a joke. Like oh my god, there's so many channels. Now there's too many, and it's all the same shit. Interestingly, Disney announced yesterday that they're going to play nice with with Netflix.
0: Well, do you notice all the HBO shows are on Netflix now? Disney shows. They've all just succumbed to Netflix One, basically.
1: So Netflix One, Netflix absolutely does. this. You know what really what
0: really pains me? Because he watched The Meg and The Meg Two based on your recommendation, my son. My kids call HBO Max.
1: Yeah, that, that is painful. I did not tell George to watch The Meg Two.
0: No, yeah, you you said you watched it with your son, so I so I, I got, and he I watched he the loved Meg it. One with my he loved
1: both Megs. Okay, he watched The Meg Two as well. It seems like uh, a lot of movies just came and went this year. Like, Remember The, remember the Creator? Denzel's oh, son yeah. was in it. It was like AI that came and went. Killers of the Flower Moon, did that do any business? In fact, I, I, know, I don't think it – no, it didn't. I had Sean make this chart for us.
0: I'm waiting for it to come out on Apple before I watch it. It's
1: like a four-hour I had movie. Sean make, it, make a chart of Leo's domestic box office performance. Kills of the Flower Moon was the lowest grossing since. Now these aren't adjusted for inflation, but since, since J Edgar. Edgar, I mean, this is a bomb, and this is a this was a Scorsese movie. Nobody has time for three and a half hour drama anymore. Oh, Scorsese should just make all of his movies into four part series. You know what? You were so right. You were so right with your take on all shows should be six episodes. Because the most recent episode of Godzilla just was a filler. Just a filler. It was fluff. Did not need to exist. I mean, there should be six episodes. Yeah,
0: they shouldn't have have filler episodes anymore.
1: All right. Last thing on this article from Lucas Shaw. Did you know, Ben, that the anime business, because they were talking about uh, Japanese culture and Godzilla and all that sort of stuff. The anime business generates more than $20 billion globally.
0: Isn't that a drop in the bucket, though? Or do you think it's a lot?
1: The anime business, 20 billion? I don't know. Do you know what anime is? Yeah, but I'm, what am
0: I supposed to, what's my takeaway here?
1: 20 is billion. A lot of money. Am I smoking dust or are you- It well, shows 20, You think it's a lot of money? 20 billion? Oh, 20 billion,
0: okay. Yeah, okay, that's a lot of money.
1: Oh, 20 billion, <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you think I said, million? I was- Netflix. Uh, yeah, Netflix did thirty. Netflix does eight billion dollars a quarter. Okay, so a lot of teens and adults like
0: watching cartoons. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I guess. Okay. Yes, that is what I'm saying. All right. Um, Charlie Munger again in the an in the interview with John Collison said, "Let the bad people go." Just talking about life. Like nobody has time for that shit. And I, I almost completely agree with with that thinking, but then. I was at Robin's grandmother passed away. I was at her funeral uh on Friday, and she lived an incredible life. ninety six, sharp as attack until the very end, didn't have, you know, a 10 year long battle with cancer. like she just won the, you know she she went she went pretty quickly towards the end, which was which was a blessing. obviously nobody wants to have that drawn out. And at the eulogy, one of her sons said, and this is definitely true of her, that she always saw the best in people. And like she discarded, you know, the normal sort of bad stuff that people have. And what a, what a great way to live. I don't think that I see the worst in people, but like it's, it's hard to see the best in people. That is a rare quality. It is easy to see the bad side of people. I probably do that too much. Right? Like, oh, that person, the way that he sniffles, like, ugh, yeah. so annoying. <laughs> people people are the worst sometimes. <laughs> people are the worst. Uh, so just a very admirable quality. But I was also thinking at the funeral, I I love a good funeral. Now, with the caveat that That's quite I don't know a where take. the li- I don't I don't know where the line is. I don't like if it's a person that was 85, 90, and they lived a wonderful life and it was a celebration. Listen, if you're I don't like going to uh Young people's funerals. I mean, obviously, I don't, I didn't like my mom's funeral and who died in her 50s. That, that shit is the worst. But when it's a celebration of life and it's just one of the only things in the world where like all of the nonsense just for a very brief period of time gets put to the side. I told, I actually had a
0: conversation with my family a couple of weeks ago at Thanksgiving, I think. And I said, when I die, whoever's here to be there, I want you wearing Hawaiian shirts. So if, if, oh, if wow. I, if you outlast me, please wear a tropical brother shirt to my
1: funeral so I, yeah, I love a good funeral I love I love I love crying and celebrating somebody's life I, it gets me I'm a big fan. That's a take I've never heard anyone say I like funerals <laughs> Only for <laughs> only, only for old people
0: yeah I, I get it yeah like they have their time I just it's a new take I celebrate life okay that's what I do. That's fair all right recommendations
1: all right so we got a great email on Demolition Man from Tyler. One part of that movie that has lived rent-free in my head for 20 years was the fact that every restaurant in the movie was a Taco Bell and it morphed into fine dining. <laughs> that is pretty <laughs> For whatever idea. reason, I always thought that consolidation was bound to happen in real life and I've been a Yum Brands holder for years. Also, don't even get me started on the Three Seashells. I've spent countless nights racking my brain for having We got a lot of work.
0: emails on the Three Seashells. That D- yeah. three They replaced toilet paper somehow.
1: That was uh, Rob uh, Schneider, right? Was he the three seashells oh, yeah, guy in that I movie? I that.
0: All right, so let's, let's talk about Leave the World Behind since we mentioned it already. I wasn't done, but okay. Okay, all right, what do you got?
1: No, 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 we could do that. Okay. I thought it was
0: really good, and it was the kind of movie, I knew it was going to be like a good novel where the buildup is better than the ending. I told my wife, Always. like the ending, the ending is not going to leave you satisfied in this movie, so just go in with that thinking. The, the ending was a little abrupt. It wasn't very satisfying. But it was Julia Roberts playing an admittedly unlikable character Ethan Hawke, who I love. I think that guy is great. Herschel Ali, I also love. And then Harper from Industry. Great. And then Kevin Bacon made an appearance. Here's my take. Netflix is going to save the movie industry. That's two in a row for Netflix. Leave the World Behind, The Killer. I lo- they were good movies. Not great, but they were good. This movie, I, really, this movie, I, I enjoyed both. This movie really got me thinking. And it, it wasn't a great movie. It was a good movie. I tried May, December. It was way too creepy for me of a storyline. You heard of this one? The other new Netflix I turned it one? off
1: after the first two minutes. It's it's too creepy. I don't know. I just, yeah.
0: But Netflix and I think Apple to some extent are going to save movies because we haven't had like good movies. And I thought Netflix was never going to happen. And I think it's going to happen. So. I'm,
1: I'm looking forward to Netflix movies now. I want to get back to the movie because I very much enjoyed it as well. But I think that. Uh, If there are people in the industry, in the movie industry, listening to our podcast, they want to punch you in the nose because aren't isn't Netflix killing the movie industry? I mean, Netflix Netflix killed movies. Streaming killed movies. But they're but they're
0: going to put movies out on at theater. They're going to have limited releases, and
1: I just want good movies again. I just want good movies again. Has there ever been a bigger divide between an industry and and the the consumers of said industry? Like the industry is reeling. Right, but you understandably in this framing, you're not talking about the people who are impacted by the wrecking ball that is the streamers. You're talking about just purely from the perspective of the consumer, and I I get it. No, I want I want good movies again, and I think Netflix is going to get there, and it's going to be Netflix is going
0: to have the wide release ones, and Apple's going to have the Oscar ones for the most part, and I think that's how it's going to be in the future.
1: But there's but none of the the, so many movies just will never get made again, unfortunately. But I think Netflix is going to start making them again, though.
0: That's where I'm getting at. They're going to figure out, like, they're going to get better
1: at rom-com. I think Netflix is going to do it. Do you think they're going to start doing, like, indie films as well? Like I hope so. I have faith. So anyway, yeah, you're right. Uh, end of the world movies are impossible to end in a way that satisfies the audience. It's just, it's really tricky. Although I did, like, a, cab- a knock at the woods. A knock in the cabin. A knock out the cabin? Oh, my God. Um, one of those. But there was an irony in the way that this one ended, which, by the way, I, I, I the movie was thoroughly entertaining even though I don't think anybody's going to say the ending was amazing, whatever the movie was thoroughly. It was very
0: suspenseful and psychological. It was, I thought it was very good,
1: very entertaining, but the end was pretty meta. Yes. Right. The streamer.
0: Yes. I, I I liked it. Yeah. It was a pretty good, again, tell against society. It was a Mr. Robot guy who made it. So it, it made sense.
1: Somebody emailed me. I was, I was speaking about like, why do I enjoy horror? And they emailed, uh, an episode of Hardcore History called Tainment. It was four hours and I listened to every minute of it. And I, I miss Dan Carlin. I don't know why I haven't listened to Hardcore History in a while. There's nobody better. There's nobody better at podcasting than Dan Carlin. He's great,
0: yes. I should go back and listen to some of the old ones too.
1: So the episode is called Tainment, and it's a four-hour history of public executions and what was involved, what happened, why the audience loved it, why it stopped, uh, and why it stopped is not because people wanted it to stop. Uh, I highly recommend it. Charles Dickens had a quote. He, he wrote a letter to the, to the Daily News uh, on capital punishment and stuff. And he said, quote, it is in our secret nature to have a dark and dreadful interest in the subject. Hey, it's just in my nature. Can't help yeah, it. Yeah, you're
0: just, you're just looking for an excuse to watch these sicko movies.
1: <laughs> Can't help it. All right, what else? Oh, I was in the car with Logan, and he wanted me to play We Are the Champions. Okay. And Logan is my four-year-old. And he asked, what, he said, what movie is this in? I want to watch it in a movie. Um, I don't know where he made the connection between the music and it being in a movie. And I said, immediately, immediately, you know what I said? And I'm pretty sure this is right. The Mighty Ducks.
0: Okay. I, I wouldn't have known the answer to that one. It's got to be a bunch of them, though.
1: So we started watching The Mighty Ducks. We only made it four minutes in. Um, but I was thinking about, I was, so, oh, remember earlier in the show, I said, put a pin in that. We were talking about you being a set. Oh, when you were seven years old or whatever, and you found out that that wrestling was fake. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking the pin out and saying that I also had an experience of reminding myself like being seven-year-old Michael, cause that's how old I was when Mighty Ducks came out. And in the movie, when Gordon Bombay misses a shot as a, child. He, it's a movie about hockey players for those of you who didn't see it. The coach said to him before he, before the penalty shot, you miss this shot. You're not just letting me down. You're letting your whole team down. What an asshole. <laughs> Thanks, but coach. the guy, the guy who, who played the coach in, in mighty ducks. I remember when I saw my cousin Vinny and being like, Hey, wait a minute. But that guy, he was in mighty Ducks. How could he be in this movie too? Oh, you realize movies are fake. The concept of that there could be actors have more than one role really blew my mind. My
0: son, every time we watch an action movie or a scary, whatever, dinosaurs, my son always goes, this is fake, right? This is just a movie. <laughs> just, a, just just making sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, I did two Heath Ledger movies in the past month or so. I rewatched The Dark Knight, of course, like one of the greatest movies of the century. Mm-hmm. And then 10 Things I Hate About You. And it just made me realize, like, man, Heath Ledger kicked ass. That guy, like, obviously the Joker is one of the greatest performances of all time, but... 10 Things I Hate About You was probably the first movie I ever saw him in. And I have nostalgia for that period of the 90s because they are, there's best. all these great high school movies. 10 Things I Hate About You and American Pie. While Chi, we were in high school. Can't hardly wait. While I was, at, yes, while I I was, was in high school. I was
1: a junior or senior when Superbad came out.
0: So that's why I have these like nostalgia about that period. But there st- was just so much more innocent back then. Like you, The stuff they make today about kids is like they're all crazy and doing drugs and depressed. And it's like so over the top. And the like late uh, 90s, the, show
1: on, the show on HBO.
0: Yes, the late '90s. Everything was so even the party stuff. It was so much more innocent, and that's what I love about it. And Ten Things I Hate About You. You could tell like this guy is going to be a a massive star just from from that role alone. And it was young Heath Ledger, young Julia Stiles, and young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like that movie to me, I love that movie.
1: So Netflix is saving the movies. There'll never be another. Will there ever be another run of like teen high school movies?
0: I'm hopeful. The '90s really is the last decade. After that, there's no more decades.
1: We sound old, but it's true. Yep.
0: All right. Anything else? We had some
1: technical difficulties. But we made it through this. We made we made it through. Anything else? I think we covered everything. All right, Ben. Good potting. Good potting. Uh, all right. Listen, personal emails, personal responses. This is what we're all about here. Animal Spirits at the News.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Duncan. everyone else who works behind the scenes on making the show possible. We will see you next time.